Hello and welcome to the Money Talk Podcast. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, what explains the lasting appeal of gold and why does it still hold that allure for investors today? Our special guest this week is John Reed from the World Gold Council, who's here to answer those questions as well as to tell us about the prospects for gold in a world of high inflation, cryptocurrencies and ethical concerns about its extraction from the earth. That's the focus today. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. For thousands of years, gold has held an allure for human beings and has been used as a store of value. That continues to this day, with investors still turning to the precious metal, even with a host of other more sophisticated instruments promising to provide financial gains. Why does the appeal of gold endure? What role can it play for investors today? And what does the future hold? To help answer those questions, I hope, I'm very pleased to say that I'm joined today by John Reed, the Chief Market Strategist for the World Gold Council. John, a warm welcome to the podcast. Um, Perhaps it makes sense to start by asking you to explain what the Gold Council is and what your role in it is. Sure. Now, it's uh, an organisation that not many people have heard about. I wish more had done so, so hopefully things like this will help. So the World Gold Council is an organisation that's been running for about 35 years now, uh, set up by gold mining companies listed around the world to develop the gold market, to promote the ownership and to make access to buying and selling gold easier. So um, we are based in offices around the world, uh, headquartered in London, but with major offices in New York, uh, Mumbai, Shanghai, and Singapore. And I run the research and strategy group uh, and also have responsibility for the central banks team uh, and the public policy team as well. Uh, I've been at the World Gold Council for five years now, but I've been in the gold space for nearly 35 years, uh, and that includes everything from digging it out of the ground in gold (laughs) mines to working as a gold equity analyst, a commodity strategist, a a hedge fund manager, uh, and then, as I say, for the last five years at the World Gold Council. And we're very pleased to have you on because gold is of perennial interest to our audience, retail investors. and, and how would you explain this lasting appeal of gold? I mean, I talk about it being a very historically uh, a store of value for human beings, you know. Um, is it simply down to its, its physical appeal? It's a shiny object, obviously. It's scarce, and that will, that will have a value. Why haven't other assets come along to replace the position that gold holds for us? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I mean, you've hit a couple of the points there that I would have brought up. It, it's an attractive-looking metal. Um, it's also very heavy. If you, if you feel a yeah. gold bar or a decent piece of jewellery, it, it has a weight and a, a, a feeling of authority to, towards it as well. The fact that it doesn't corrode, the fact that you can dig a gold coin up from a Spanish shipwreck mm. uh, and it is as bright and shiny as the day that it went in there, I think that's really important too. Um, and then the fact that it was money. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not really money anymore. It's a monetary metal, in, uh, by, and it's part of the financial system. But it's not used as currency, but it was for a long time. Uh, and I think that's where the, the, the history uh, of the current attraction comes from, the fact that it is considered to be, uh, to be historic money. Um, and yet it is still a financial asset that, uh, that people are attracted to, uh, and part of the reason they're attracted to it is because 
it holds its value over the long term and actually and more. Um, and for more sophisticated investors, they recognize that it is one of the few assets that will genuinely um, diversify a portfolio. And you know, a lot of people are focused, for example, on, on equities and bonds diversifying each other within an investment portfolio. And that's worked really well in the last 30 years. But it hasn't worked when inflation's high. And you can see that this year uh, when we've seen losses in equity markets and losses in bond markets. Whereas gold tends to diversify a portfolio much more effectively and actually works best of all um, when there's high inflation or other financial crises around as well. So it's an asset which, uh, which you have in your portfolio. It diversifies. It gives you a bit of, bit of protection against bad things happening. So I think there's lots of reasons why gold is still attractive, both from the physical characteristics, but also from its investment characteristics. Well, yeah, let's get into some of that because I wanted to, to talk about its its difference, actually, from other financial assets and this, this role that it has as a diversifier. Um, you, you know, when you compare it to, to stocks and bonds, actually, some people who perhaps aren't fans of gold as an investment will say, well, look, this thing does not produce an income. It's not doing anything in the world. Presumably, you would say that point of difference is actually part of its attraction to an investor. Sure. I mean, the fact that it doesn't pay a coupon or a dividend um, is, is certainly one of the common criticisms we get about making an allocation to gold. But that's become less vocal when the proportion of bonds around the world that are paying very low or indeed even negative yeah, sure. uh, yields uh, has increased. And the second thing is as well, if you look at the proportion of, of equity markets that don't pay dividends or indeed don't even make profits, again, it's less of a criticism you can, uh, you can level against gold. The point about gold is it has no credit risk. So you're not worried about gold going bankrupt. You're not worried about bad things happening to the company, which is gold. Gold is gold. Um, and, and as I say, that, that, makes it, that makes it very different. So it is different from the other assets that are out there. I mean, there are other physical assets that you could consider um, uh, as diversifiers, um, like oil. Oil price has obviously done very well this year after the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, natural gas, same same story. But one of the things about it is that gold is cheap to store. You can store gold in a vault uh, as an institution for probably less than one-tenth of a percent per annum. We've got the storage costs of oil, could be 10%, 20% per annum. Look at the storage co- costs of natural gas, 100% per annum. So you're looking at, a, uh, at this asset uh, with no credit risk, um, which diversifies your portfolio, very low holding costs as well. That's really important. Mm. Now, you've mentioned um, inflation there, and this current climate that we're in has made uh, gold of high interest to lots and lots of people. Um, But I wanted to get into that relationship a a, a bit better because we are living through this period of high inflation. Many people will have turned to gold. How has that decision played out? I think I know what you're going to say in terms of the recent history of of, of gold and inflation. And what can we say about it sort of historically uh, in terms of keeping its real terms value when prices rise? Sure. Um, Gold did particularly well in the high inflations of the late 70s uh, and into the the very early 1980s. Um, And there's a couple of points I'd make about that is we would expect gold to do generally better in high inflation rather than in low inflation. But I don't think we're going to have a rerun of what we saw in the late 70s and the late 80s. And the main reason for that is there are now 
other choices that investors can make to help protect their portfolio against inflation, particularly the US tips market, which didn't exist um, uh, during the stagflation of the 70s and early 80s. So there were, I'm sure, investors who turned to gold because it was really the only thing they could turn to back then. Now there are alternatives. So we've done a lot of work on gold and inflation in the last 18 months because, face it, there hasn't really been any inflation for the last couple of decades. But then suddenly it looked like there's, uh, there was going to be some and then we got some and more. So one of my colleagues um, uh, who works in, in the research team, Johan Pomberg, says he's written more flation papers uh, in the last 18 months than he has for a long time. So gold and deflation gold and, and reflation gold and dip in uh, stagflation. And then how gold helps protect portfolios against inflation. And one of the things he, he looks at there is, is, is putting gold in a portfolio, putting other things in a portfolio as well. And it's an explicit recognition that the best thing to hedge against US CPI are tips, because that's exactly what they're designed to do. But holding an inflation protection part of a portfolio is all well and good if inflation materialises. If it doesn't, then what's the cost of holding it? And because gold has delivered returns... Uh, not only during periods of high inflation, not only during periods of uh, financial crisis, but over the last five years, 10 years, 20 years, and since 1971, when effectively gold was gold was freed from its link to the dollar, then that your, your holding cost of this inflation protection is actually much lower if you do it via gold. And that really comes to the conclusion that we, we're recommending to investors is um, if you want to protect yourself against uh, uh, inflation, gold should be one of the things that you own. It's not the only thing, but it should be one of the things that you own. Now, in terms of how has gold performed um, with a run-up in inflation that we saw in 2021 and, and into this year, in some respects, people have been disappointed by it. Um, and, uh, you know, from my side, I'd love to have seen gold go much higher. But a couple of things I'd note. In 2021, we were coming off... Uh, a very strong performance in gold the previous year. Because of the coronavirus pandemic, gold had delivered 25% uh, returns that year, and it had been one of the best-performing asset classes. In fact, it was the best-performing asset class for most of the year, certainly when uh, other markets started to rally in November. So you were already starting from a relatively high base. Um, I guess the second thing is, as well, is you could argue that you actually got your protection from inflation back in 2020 because it was the extraordinary fiscal and monetary policy actions that were being taken in 2020 that led to at least some of the inflation we're seeing now. Some more of it from Ukraine, obviously. So in a way, you got your protection, uh, uh, or you got, you got your protection early from gold. I guess the, sec the second thing I say as well is it's it's not just about inflation. It's about what are central banks doing to tackle inflation. And at the moment, we've got central banks around the world mostly raising interest rates. Um, and particularly in the US, they've priced in a lot more hikes this year than the market was expecting at the beginning of the year. And it's been that repricing, I think, uh, of, of further rate hikes that has stopped gold really, uh, I think, performing better than it did. Of course, it's been, it's been helped by the risk premium that's come into the market uh, from, uh, from the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So those two factors really facing off at the moment with gold. My own suspicion is that once the expectations uh, of rate hikes stabilize and we get 
a a number of hikes come through from the Fed, and we can kind of see a trajectory about the way things are going. I think the fears of of even more aggressive monetary policy might ease some more, and that that could take some of the headwinds away from gold. Yeah, it's really interesting what you say there. I think that um, in particular, the experience last year, 2021, um, I think it's true what you say, you know, there there was maybe uh, the conditions were good for gold, but there was an opportunity cost in buying gold because the stock market was doing actually quite well. And and so no one wanted to give up on that necessarily. Uh, And actually, for my own part, I think that's what I sort of overcame. Um, some of the reservations I had about investing in gold about a year ago, and was a bit sort of nonplussed with the with the performance because inflation expectations were rising. I could yeah. see that, but actually this year, as inflation really has taken off, it's it's done better, yeah. and uh, that was that's been my experience. And I've you know having um, spoken to lots of people over the years about gold, they've put it to me that um, it's really in extreme market conditions inflationary and deflationary that gold can almost like an end of the world type <laughs> type asset right it, it's it is going to be there when it when everything else is gone it it, it does well during bad times um i think the other way to think about it is what should you expect from gold over the long term uh in terms of returns since 1971 the average returns have been about eight percent per annum uh which is in line with many other asset classes, better than some. Work we've done uh, with a valuation model that we've been working on over the last few years suggests that for consensus estimates of economic performance uh, over the long term, you should expect to get around four and a half, five percent return from gold. Um, it's not an asset that's going to go to the moon or allow you to buy a Lamborghini. You can see I've been speaking to cryptocurrency guys. <laughs> We're going to get uh, onto that. You'll get onto that. Yeah, fine. But so it's not a, it's not an asset that's going to going to make you a millionaire overnight, but it's going to be a source of returns for your portfolio. Uh, I'll come back to it again and again because I think people need to need to think more about this. It's also a diversifier and it gives you some protection from these very bad things that are happening. Yeah, and and I think that people do uh, understand or they have a natural sense of its ability to 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 keep pace with with prices i heard this this sort of nice uh, example maybe it's apocryphal i don't know but um it was that an ounce of gold in roman times would have bought you a rather fetching toga and an ounce of gold these days um i'm not in the market but apparently it would buy you a very very nice suit from Savile Row I understand mm. so in so people look at those examples say over these very 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 long periods actually there is some logic in gold holding its value over the shorter term from what you're saying I'm guessing that the correlation is going to be far from perfect oh sure but 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 it, it but it can it can do a job it as you say we think it'll hold its value over the long term and then deliver uh, better than inflationary returns um, over the very long term the, the, I think it's Oliver was it Julian Baring, yeah, not Oliver, it was his cousin. Uh, Julian Baring had the, uh, the the anecdote about the Savile Row suit, right. and uh, it's still pretty still pretty much true today. If I think about what it costs for a Savile Row suit, so yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Well, um, let's move on to something a bit more technical around around the the process of, it, of actually investing in gold. Mm. Um, one of the decisions you have to make if you if you want exposure to gold is exactly how you're going to do it. Uh, you can get exposure to the physical price of gold in a couple of ways, actually. Um, but you could invest in gold mining companies as well. Can you explain a bit, John, some of the considerations around that decision and what's at stake? Sure. I mean, the first thing I'd say is the World Gold Council... Uh, 
encourages people to own gold first and foremost, rather than gold mining companies. Um, so we don't make any recommendations about target allocations for gold equities or anything like that, or, and certainly not on the individual companies. But in principle, the way to think, I think about gold equities is, or gold mining companies, is that they give you exposure to gold, price movements, together with a lot of other factors as well. Some of those factors can be positive, some can be negative, but they're certainly different from just owning pure gold. So, for example, if you uh, own a gold mining company and it discovers a, a new deposit of gold, which looks very profitable to mine, share price can go up. If you own a gold mining company and suddenly they have a, an accident, maybe, that, that's going to cut production or they lose access to reserves, then the share price might go down. Governments... Uh, often change taxation. So when the gold price goes up, you can suddenly find the government demanding more in taxation, a bit like the windfall profits tax that uh, the UK government has put on energy producers. So you've got some political risk there as well. Um, So there's good things that can happen. There's bad things that can happen. But the way I always think about it is that they are additional risks, positive and negative, over and above owning gold itself. And is the experience that that would lead to more volatility in the return or just a difference? More volatility, I think, is right. I mean, gold has a volatility which is in line with uh, equity indices. Gold companies or gold mining shares have, generally speaking, much higher volatility than that. And that can work in your favour and it can work against you. Sure, of course, of course. Now, um, you foreshadowed this a little bit, but a, um, a new development in the financial world over the past few years, of course, has been cryptocurrencies. Now, advocates or some advocates for crypto are going to claim that um, those assets actually have some of the same characteristics as gold. They'll talk about the scarcity of something like Bitcoin. There's only ever going to be a a finite number of those. Uh, They'll talk about its independence from the rest of the the financial world. These are all things that perhaps gold has in its favour as well. Are those comparisons fair? Um, would you say? And does crypto represent a rival to gold's status as a haven or a store of value? I mean, I think in part, I would agree with some of the statements that are made by the the cryptocurrency community. Uh, Bitcoin, by design, will have a ultimate finite supply. uh, And its inflation, uh, annual inflation, I think is running probably just under about 3% per annum at the moment, which is not that different from the inflation of the stock of gold, which is running about 1.6% per annum. So by design, uh, some cryptocurrencies have uh, an engineered scarcity. Many don't. Um, in terms of a, of being independent from governments, yes, the, um, cryptocurrencies in general uh, are independent from governments, and in some cases they're independent from everything by their decentralized uh Methods. So there's literally nobody in charge, nobody to go to if things go wrong, as as, as people have been discovering recently. Um, so in, in that, in those examples, I'd say yes, there are some similarities, but there are many more differences than there are similarities, and those differences are really are really important. Um, I think the first one is as a store of value. Well, what do you want in a store of value? You want something that's got a track record. And not many cryptocurrencies go go back long enough to even begin to establish a track record. You probably want something that's not very volatile either. You know, if you if, if you're if you're saving your nest egg in there, I mean, obviously you'd like it to go up, but more to the point, you'd like it to be more or less what you remembered about it was when it 
when you last looked at it, maybe two or three months ago. So the very high volatility takes away from the store of value argument. Um, I, I think also, you know, the people say, well, Bitcoin's never been hacked itself, which is absolutely true. The, uh, the protocols behind Bitcoin um, have never um, been subject to a successful cyber attack. But the exchanges of which you trade it or own it are regularly hacked and wallets are hacked and, 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 and the things you have to do to make sure that it's really safe uh, are probably beyond what most investors are prepared to do with their investment portfolio. So uh, the store of value argu- argument, I think, falls down a bit. In terms of being a safe haven, um, I mean, it's hard to judge whether something that ha- has no real demand, other than in speculation and maybe a bit of investment, uh, is going to be a safe haven or not. So what you have to do is you actually have a look at how has it behaved. And the way that crypto assets appear to have behaved over their very short life is if as is that they are pro-growth assets. They do well when equity markets are doing well, particularly when the tech components of the NASDAQ uh, is really hot. Then Bitcoin does seems to do really well as well. And what Bitcoin does, they generally follow it. So the work we've done, including gold in a portfolio, shows that having the right amount of gold, say usually between 5 and 10% of gold in a portfolio, uh, increases the risk-adjusted return of that portfolio. If you do the similar sort of exercise over the last 10 years with Bitcoin, if you've had Bitcoin in your portfolio, it's also increased the risk-adjusted return of your portfolio, but it's done it in very different ways. Adding gold lowers your portfolio volatility and can contribute something to, um, to returns. And when bad things happen, as I say, then gold helps cushion the portfolio from coronavirus pandemic, Great Recession, Russia invasion of Ukraine, etc., the improvement you get in the risk-adjusted return from having Bitcoin in your portfolio has all come from returns. Portfolio volatility has increased, not decreased. So sure, returns are good. We like returns, but you're not getting any diversification benefits. It's effectively like you've ex- increased your exposure to uh, high-tech Nasdaq stocks. So, and look, we don't advocate either for or against cryptocurrencies. That's not our role. But what we can say to people is, Understand what you're doing if you get involved in cryptocurrencies. You're going to be buying an asset which is going to be really volatile, and it's going to be adding to your equity-like risk. And if you have done this, well, then come back to the diversification argument. All the portfolios we look at, the riskier the portfolio, as measured by the proportion of equities that you've got in there, the more diversification you need. So the, if you add crypto to a portfolio, you probably need to add some more gold to balance it out. It seems to me that um, crypto is early enough in its life that that sort of work is, is, is or that sort of analysis is very, very difficult because it, it's almost had this sort of craze factor going on where uh, awareness of it and accept, acceptability of it has, has increased. Um, and disaggregating it all to really understand how it's going to behave in different market conditions, when when we're in a growthy phase or a or a recessionary phase, it's hard to know. It is, and you know, one of the flippant answers I give is, "What do you think of Bitcoin as a store of value?" And I say, "Well, ask me in three thousand five hundred yeah. years' time, and I'll tell <laughs> yeah, you." Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but but you're absolutely right. The short track record makes it tricky. The fact that it wasn't really that widely owned prior to maybe two thousand and seventeen yeah. means you've only got about five or six years. Um, so who knows? 
But certainly the way it's behaving at the moment and the way it's behaved over the last couple of years makes it look more like a tech mm. stock than it does like a safe haven. Okay, okay. Well, John, finally, um, one more issue I wanted to put your way today, um, and that was around ESG. Mm. Uh, environmental, social and governance investing, obviously uh, something of increasing interest to lots of people, lots of institutions and individual investors. Um, now, gold is obviously an asset that it's taken out of the ground. It can involve a heavy industrial process to do that. Can you invest in gold and adhere to ESG standards? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and it's one that we have increasingly been getting over the last three or four years. We've added um, to our team that looks at this area tremendously and produce a lot of research on it. I think it, it's fair to say it's work in progress. Extractive industries, by their nature, uh, have an ESG impact. And, and in some ways, we've been able to minimize or hopefully eliminate them. In others, we're able to quantify the impact that we've got and lay out pathways um, towards, for example, carbon neutrality. Um, but one of the things we do think about is gold is different from the other uh, products of extractive industry, the other commodities, the metals, the energy, etc. All of them involve um, greenhouse gas emissions and environmental impact in the extraction and, and, and purification, whether it's oil, gas, coal, copper, gold. But once you've mined and refined your gold, that's it. There's no downstream ESG impact from it. You're not going to burn it. Uh, it's not going to cost you well, loads of energy to trade it like it would Bitcoin. Sorry, we've put that one to better <laughs> work. Um, owning gold in jewelry form or owning gold as an investment has no ongoing carbon emissions. And if you think about constructing a portfolio, um, if you've got equities in there, all of them have got some uh, ESG impact. Bonds, well, you're owning, uh, owning effectively shares in the government. That's got ESG implications. Putting gold in a portfolio lowers uh, your carbon footprint. Now, it doesn't mean that you can ignore the fact that gold mining itself uh, produces uh, greenhouse gas emissions and has, uh, has a big ESG impact. But we've done quite a lot of work so far to quantify what that is, defining, measuring scope one, two, and three emissions uh, of gold mining, laying out a pathway whereby the gold mining industry could get to carbon neutrality by 2050, and some of our larger members... Uh, have committed to do so, uh, and more of them have actually committed to uh, aggressive um, reductions in their carbon uh, footprint uh, in a shorter time period as well. So like every other industry on, on Earth, the gold mining industry recognises that it's got work to do here. Uh, it's busy with it. It's quantified the impact. And uh, as I say, we've written a lot of research on this which has almost all been done with third-party, reputable um, organisations, all available on our website for those of you who've got more interest in the topic. Yeah, and I guess it's always the case with ESG that um, it really is up to the sort of individuals to really understand what's going on with, with any investment because nothing, as you sort of say there, truly is, is or should ever be given a completely clean bill of health because that's unrealistic practically for anything. Mm. Um, and it's really understanding the the ESG factors that you're... I, I think that's right. It's understanding and, and it's questioning. And I think we've seen a lot of headlines recently about whether 
ESG indices or measures are actually as good as perhaps they were sold to be. Um, I think people need to, to to work out what matters for them and uh, to, to, to do some work behind it as well to make sure that they fully understand. It's one of the reasons why we're producing this research. And because we're the World Gold Council, we have to demonstrate our credibility by using uh, trusted and independent advisors. Okay, okay. Well, John, it's been great to have you on today. That's all the time we have for now. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much, Ed. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.